Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We are joined uh, by one of our favorite guests, Dr. Amish Adalja from Johns Hopkins University, specializing in infectious diseases. Um, with a look at everything going on in the COVID picture, there's so much to get to, Dr. Adalja. We thank you once again for the time. I... Um, I don't know where to begin, so why don't we start with uh, this Omicron and what we know. I I mean, it seems like every day we're getting more and more data, but I do want to be, you know, careful before we rush to assumption. I I think the assumption right now is that this appears to be highly uh, contagious, more contagious even than the Delta variant that we've seen, uh, but perhaps less likely to give you any sort of severe outcome. Uh, If you contract this form of the virus, you may be, uh, I don't want to say lucky, but you may be better off than anyone who's had COVID in the past year and a half. Is that, with what we know now, the accurate assumption, or is it too early to tell? Some parts of it we can say with confidence, uh, other parts we can't. So what we can say confidently is that this is a more contagious version of the virus And the reason it's more contagious is that it's not stymied by the antibodies that people have generated from prior infection or from antibodies. So it can infect somebody who's fully vaccinated. It can infect somebody who had a prior infection basically very easily. And that's what's allowing it to rise so rapidly. It's displacing Delta. It displaced Delta in in South Africa. It's displacing Delta in some parts of Scandinavia. It's increasing in places like London. Uh, We see a doubling time that's a lot faster than we've seen with Delta. And it's because antibodies are not making a difference in its spread. Regarding its severity, I think we have to be careful there. There are some hopeful signs out of South Africa that this seems to be uh, less likely to hospitalize. uh, And if you do get hospitalized, less likely to kill shorter lengths of stay. But we have to be careful because South Africa is a different country than the United States in terms of demographics. They are much younger than the U.S. and not as obese as the U.S. So you have to be, be careful about taking that. But we'll see. We'll learn that soon. But for an unvaccinated person, if you get Delta, if you get Omicron and you're high risk, it's likely to land you in the hospital. Nonetheless, it's it's this virus is coming for the unvaccinated, whether or not it's Omicron or whether it's Delta. Now, all that being said, we are seeing cases on the rise here in New York State and uh, in New York City, even where uh, that's been you know low over the past few days. They've seen a rise in cases. Um, we heard this from our governor yesterday. This is uh, something she tweeted out: increasing cases, reduced hospital capacity and insufficient vaccination rates, New York is headed in the wrong direction. Now, I I thought it was strange because she said insufficient vaccination rates. 
And the tweet before that, she gave the vaccination rates, which is 70 percent of all New Yorkers are considered fully vaccinated. And uh, that's all New Yorkers. That would include kids under 12 years old. Uh, 93.8 percent of adult New Yorkers have had at least one dose of a vaccine. And I'm looking at those numbers and I'm thinking, you know, insufficient vaccination rates. I don't know if you told me at the beginning of the vaccine program I don't know if I would have expected anything more than that. I Can we expect anything more? And is that really insufficient in terms of granting us protection? Well, I think if you look at the European countries that are getting hit with Omicron uh, and some of the places where hospitalizations have gone up, it, it is probably insufficient because it's not. When you look at that number, you're giving an average number across the state, and that includes little kids, people that are at low risk for hospitalization. What you really... What really matters is the percentage of, uh, of adults with high-risk conditions that are fully vaccinated. And that's not going to that, – you're going to see enough of – even if the numbers look high to you numerically, <clears throat> when, you still, when you multiply that by the population, that's still a lot of people. And then you have to look geographically where they live. So, yes, probably New York City will be okay because of the, the level of vaccination they have. But some of the rural areas in New York State – there are probably pockets of unvaccinated individuals that are sufficient to crush a community hospital in that area. You know, I, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. I live in practice in the Pittsburgh area, and we see it, it okay in the city of Pittsburgh. But if you just go north to the places between Pittsburgh and Buffalo, for example, there are a lot of unvaccinated people there, and there are small hospitals that maybe have six-bed or 12-bed ICUs. They can't handle that type of uh, issue. My hometown hospital in Butler, Pennsylvania, is crushed, even though the vaccination rate might be high in Pennsylvania there's still enough high-risk people there that they can crush a hospital. So maybe not a a national systemic problem, or maybe not even a statewide problem, but clearly regional problems are going to happen based on who is unvaccinated and where they live and what the hospital capacity is in that region. In that same – our governor also mentioned that um, the definition of fully vaccinated could change to include those who are boosted. So unless you are boosted, you are not considered fully vaccinated. Obviously, she hasn't gone that far yet. Um, but what would you say of changing the definition of fully vaccinated to three shots? I don't think that makes sense because what we're trying to do is prevent severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And when you look at the data on Omicron, when you look at the data from Delta, if you're fully vaccinated and you're a healthy person, you are protected against what matters, serious illness, hospitalization, and death. So I don't think there's any scientific basis to say someone that got two doses of Pfizer is equivalent to someone who got zero doses of Pfizer. There's just no scientific basis to say someone that's, full, that's fully vaccinated under the current, current definition is the same thing as someone who's unvaccinated. That's just not true. I, now, it, we're looking at this still, though, in, in the terms of uh, you know, vaccination to help everybody else. Right. Which I guess would make sure if you're a high risk person and you're getting vaccinated, you are going to help the hospital situation in that you'd be less likely to find yourself uh, amid one of those numbers on that big chart that we see every single day. But, you know, we're talking about vaccination mandates and now even booster mandates to get into businesses that don't have to wear masks all under the idea that, well, you don't have to worry about spread, uh, spreading the virus. Or getting the virus, I how good is that message with what we're seeing out there in real time? Well, I think that businesses have the right to set their terms of employment, and if they want their employees to be vaccinated or boosted, that's their their issue. I think that 
I, I don't really advise businesses to require boosters. I don't, I don't think that universities should do that, but they are doing that. But what I think is important to remember is that if you've got, if you're not vaccinated and you're high risk, you will, you will help yourself by getting vaccinated because you're going to decrease your risk of dying or being hospitalized or having your life disrupted. And that's the same thing for anybody that's unvaccinated that you help yourself because you, you're, you don't have this illness and you've, you've staved it off with a safe and effective vaccine. But you also have to remember that in some of these hospitals where they are crushed with unvaccinated COVID patients and they say they're not hurting anybody, they actually are. Because if you have a stroke in a place that's crushed with COVID patients, you may wait in the waiting room. You may get, get <laughs> diverted to another hospital. So we, we really have this problem. And I think we talked about this the last time I was on it, that our hospital capacity is very fixed in the United States. It's not something you can quickly, quickly uh, improve or expand on. And we have a nursing shortage. And so there's a lot of unstaffed beds. So because we're all tied together in the same hospital system, for better or worse, and there are laws like MTALA, which say you can't, you have to treat everybody that shows up, it does really impact, it, it does have a major impact on, on your community hospital when you're not vaccinated, especially if you're someone who's then going to say, I want monoclonal antibodies, I'm coming to the emergency department, I need an ICU bed. All of that is really taking a huge toll on the healthcare system's ability to function, and that's why vaccination that keeps people out of the hospital is, is so important in, in, as we move through this winter because there, there is Delta, there is Omicron, and we have hospitals that some of them regionally are, are busting at the seams. It's not as bad as it was a year ago, but it is still not a, a proper position because it's all preventable. I mean, why, why are we doing this? Why are there 67,000 people in the hospital for a vaccine-preventable disease? I mean, that, that's mind-boggling to me. You mentioned monoclonal an- antibodies. Are we missing something? If we are on the brink of experiencing something that's much more transmissible and might outpace our efforts for vaccination or, or booster amongst older people or people who are overweight or have some other comorbidity, you know, the, the message has really not changed. Get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get boosted. I'm sure that's going to be said again. There seems to be no focus on treatment. We hear every once in a while, like every other week, about these COVID pills, but it almost seems like that's been put on the back burner by the FDA in terms of uh, getting their approval and getting them out there already. In New York, I mean, here we're being told about a crisis every single day. I don't think I've ever heard any of these officials even make mention of monoclonal antibodies being available ever. Why isn't there a focus on treatment as well? And by the way, that treatment would, it's not like we're just going to be treating unvaccinated people. That treatment could be used for the, you know, 25% of people who are in our hospitals right now who are vaccinated too. Well, one thing, monoclonal antibodies are, are used, the way they're used currently is as a preventative. So someone that's high risk for severe disease gets COVID-19, they're within a seven to 10 day window they get infused with monoclonal antibodies with the hope it prevents them from needing hospitalization. But the thing is, the monoclonal antibodies require injection and infusion and a lot of logistics, so sometimes they're, they're underutilized. But yes, they are a key component of keeping people out of the hospital. And there was not a very good concept of operations early on, but now I think most states have, have stepped up but they, and been able to set up a system, and healthcare systems have set up ways to get monoclonal antibodies to people quickly. Uh, we've seen really good success in, in certain parts of the country, but it's spotty. And people have to be aware of it. So, yes, if you are somebody that's high risk and you have COVID, even if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, you should be calling your doctor immediately and demanding monoclonal antibodies. Even though there's paperwork and bureaucracy to, to, put, uh, to fill them out to get them, that's what you should be asking for. When it comes to the antivirals, I think people were disappointed after the, the advisory board meeting on the Merck drug. It, it, it got through uh, kind of on a, on a controversial vote or a very close vote. 
the FDA acting commissioner has not yet approved the Merck drug, and it's probably not a game changer. It's probably not any better than monoclonal antibodies, uh, and monoclonal antibodies are probably superior to it. The Pfizer drug looks really, really great. I think within the next couple of weeks, the FDA advisory board will be meeting. But, yes, we need this drug now. Uh, the Pfizer drug has a 90% uh, ability to keep people out of the hospital. And remember, their trial was done in unvaccinated individuals. Uh, this is really game-changing. So we need the FDA to move as expeditiously as possible and get this drug in people's hands, especially in the face of Omicron, uh, where, where we're going to, to need it uh, more than ever. You know, uh, COVID-19 is spreading through the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, and now there is a, a louder uh, voice talking about, you know, these are healthy, mostly vaccinated um, athletes. Should they even be testing as regularly as they are? What do you say to this idea? Baker Mayfield can't start this weekend. He says he feels fine, but he tested positive for COVID. Uh, do you think we're going to get to the point? Are we at that point where these athletes, we just stop testing and they're able to play if they don't have symptoms? Well, I, I think that a lot of the sports leagues made the mistake of doing testing of asymptomatic individuals. And I, I wouldn't have, and CDC doesn't even recommend testing of asymptomatic individuals unless they've been exposed or for travel related purposes, but they were they were doing that. But once you do that, then you actually can't ignore a positive test. I mean, a positive test still means something. But my, my question has always been to the sports leagues, why are you testing asymptomatic individuals? Because then it puts you in this position. Um, so I think that's what we have to take a step back and understand, is that that strategy was bound to lead to this. I think eventually we'll get to a point where a positive test is looked at, you know, is scrutinized in the sense that, is this person contagious? Are they positive just on PCR, not antigen? Do they have symptoms? Have they... And, and we'll start to abbreviate uh, isolation and quarantine periods, but we're not quite there yet. But you cannot ignore a positive test. Um, you shouldn't be, if, if you don't want to know the answer to the test, you shouldn't actually be sending the test uh, on an asymptomatic individual. And, if, and then if you have one, though, you, you can't say that that person's not a risk to others. You've got to take some steps to understand, do they pose a risk to others? And remember, the NFL, you know, they are healthy, but there's a high level of obesity and people that are overweight in, in there, people with asthma. And there are also liars in the NFL that say they're vaccinated. You know, I'm wondering, and you talk about the NFL, NBA, NHL. NHL, uh, according to the league, there's only four players, not 4%, four players who are unvaccinated, yet still you have an entire team sidelined because the virus is spreading uh, within them. And I'm wondering if, you know, uh, we, we go back to March of 2020, it was kind of sports that grabbed everyone's attention, right? You know, the NBA postpones their season. Now everyone all of a sudden, oh, man, uh, do I have to take this – COVID thing seriously, I'm going to have to start paying attention to this. Uh, do you think that might happen in the other way where, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing all these positive cases amongst uh, entire teams sometimes, uh, all these players who people in the community know very well, and what we'll likely see is, okay, uh, vaccinated people testing positive having limited to no symptoms and then being back on the field doing what they do in the most part. Uh, not that long after. Do you think in some way we might look again to the sports world as our barometer of this going from pandemic to endemic? Well, I would say it's not a barometer, but I think the sports leagues, because of the way they can, they have a captive audience of players, that they can, they can do a lot of things differently. And we, we learned the value of serial testing, because you can remember back with the NBA and NHL seasons during the pandemic where they had zero cases with their bubbles. They showed that that worked, and that was really important to show that this things, things could be done safely with testing and social distancing. And 
in, in quarantine periods. So they, they did really good there. And I think that was instrumental in showing how that could happen. And maybe the, the sports leagues will now be the place where we generate the data on is it safe to take a positive test and then say instead of keeping that person out for 10 days, which is the CDC recommendation, truncating that based on rapid antigen tests. So when a person becomes rapid antigen test negative, they go back, uh, they go back to play. That may be something we see happening. And I think increasingly most people in my field would actually support that type of move because it's not really one size fits all. And we know that breakthrough infections are, are contagious for a, a much shorter period of time than, than a, non, uh, a non-breakthrough infection. So there, there may be ways to use the sports leagues and their protocols to try and make a more general protocol for the, for the public and, and to get, get us to a more manageable level. Because right, right now, a breakthrough infection, even though it's mild, it's still disruptive because the person has to be out for 10 days. They have to tell their contacts. Those contacts have to be either quarantined or tested depending on their vaccination status. That's really, really disruptive. And I think we've got to get to a point where we utilize rapid tests to be able to allow people to get back on their feet faster if they're not symptomatic and they're not dangerous to others. Now, outside of sports, uh, looking at tests when it comes to like a county like Erie County, um, here in Erie County, uh, you have to call a phone number to get a test, uh, to get a free county test. Obviously, if you want to pay $100, you can go to any corner and get a, uh, get a test. Is uh, better availability to those rapid tests, maybe at-home tests, as we saw in Monroe County, as we saw in other places through New York State, another way to battle this um, instead of, you know, I know vaccines are number one and and that, but maybe making tests more available on a free scale uh, to regions that are seeing the surge like Erie County, would that that be another way to fight COVID? Definitely. And this is something we should have been doing early on in the pandemic, way back even before the vaccine era, because if people can know their status, they can change their behavior. If they know they're, they're safe or not safe to be around people, they can they can take protective actions and not spread the disease. So yes, I think that people should be getting home tests in their mailbox every day. They should be free. They I mean, obviously they're not free. They're paid for by taxpayers, but they should be at no out of pocket cost. You don't you shouldn't have to fill out an insurance form to reimburse. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, these should be everywhere. They should be in vending machines. You should just be able to walk out the door and, and find uh, find a, a free home test. And you know, in, in England and places like that, you can just pick up a pack whenever you want and just have them. And I think that's what we have to do because uh, they're being underutilized and that's causing much more disruption to the economy and to people's lives than it could, than it should, because you shouldn't have to drive all around town looking for a home test or you shouldn't have to fill out these huge insurance forms for a home test uh, and get reimbursed after the fact. The home tests here are, are more expensive and they're scarcer. And, and it's because the way the FDA regulated them, they regulated them as full medical diagnostic tests, which put a lot of development costs in them, which then get passed on to the customer rather than thinking about them like public health tests because they help. They help public health, just like when you're dealing with someone that's injecting heroin, you give them those little fentanyl test strips to make sure they don't have fentanyl in their heroin. Those things are free, and nobody even regulates them, and they work. I think that's what we should have had for home tests, this public health paradigm for the testing, not the medical diagnostic paradigm, which took ages to get these things out there, and now they're so limited and expensive and cumbersome that it's not that, that they're not utilized in their optimal way. There was this debate here in our area yesterday in the county legislature about having that, spending the money to have these tests available to any Erie County resident. Hey, you can pick up one of these tests free, provided by the county. Doctor, that was tabled for a further discussion maybe a month from now when they meet again instead of acting on that right away. I... I can't. I'm wondering if you have maybe a different answer, but I can't think of a better way to spend all these COVID dollars than on giving people the 
opportunity freely and easily to, if they're not feeling well or have been exposed, to quickly at home be able to check their status. Instead, we're spending this money on having people go to bars and restaurants and make sure someone's wearing a mask when they walk in the door until they sit at the bar two steps next to it. Yeah, that, that, that's backwards, but that's what happens when politicians get involved in, in scientific matters, that, that they, they don't really uh, understand how to prioritize things. Yes, it's mind-boggling that if they, have, if they have the ability to get tests to people, that actually solves the problem, because if people are negative, the mask is not necessarily going to be that useful. If you've got all people that are negative, uh, that, that's, uh, that's a really good thing, that the people that are socializing know their status, you've actually achieved your goal, and you've done it in a, in a non-punitive, easy way to do it. So this is something that... that uh, should be should be done, and I think tabling it for a month makes no sense because in a month they're going to not even be able to meet because there's going to be so much Omicron probably. Um, uh, before we let you go, I want to get your opinion on this. We've talked a lot about all right. If you want to really reach the people who have not gotten the vaccine, you might want to start listening to what they have to say and you know adjust your messaging accordingly. You know, maybe uh, dragging out the same people who have kind of become despised in certain circles over the last year and a half, almost two years now might not be the best way to uh, reach these people. Uh, You know, I'm thinking about this in terms of booster shots now. We heard our governor say yesterday, all right, the booster shots, that might be the definition of fully vaccinated now. It's another shot. I I mean, I'm listening to the CDC yesterday not recommending the J&J shot anymore. You know, I got the J&J shot a while ago. I, You know, that, um, me being vaccinated combined with my age, you know, I'm around 30 years old. Um, I'm not obese yet. Might be getting there, but you know, I'm uh, all that. I feel pretty good, and have been living uh, my life. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, this is going to be great when we start over again. I'm being told that my vaccine doesn't count now. I got to catch up with like four Pfizer's to be considered fully vaccinated and go and see their Rockettes next year. I this stuff has been talked about, uh, you know, in these circles that everyone likes to mention of you know vaccine hesitancy and whatever for forever, and we're actually doing it. And, you know, you mentioned the important thing of getting people those first and second shots more so than boosters. Are we discouraging people who have been sitting on the sidelines from actually going there because we're taking these next steps that may or may not be necessary? I do think if there's someone who is balking at the fact that they have to get even one dose to be fully vaccinated if they've got the J&J, is now faced with the prospect of having to get a whole slew of them, that's, those people are not going to get vaccinated. And increasingly, our policy is directed towards the vaccinated, not towards the unvaccinated. They've basically been written off. And, and that's why you see such emphasis on boosters. Uh, but I think we have to get back, get clear to what our goals are. Our goals are to prevent serious illness, hospitalization, and death. And I think the two-dose regimens do that. For high-risk people, people above the age of 65, people with other conditions, it does make sense for them to be boosted if it's been six months uh, since their, their last dose. But I think we shouldn't kind of get all of the same rhetoric around boosters that we did again that, that we did with the vaccine it's just it, it's it's still when i work in the icu it's not people that are lacking their boosters that i'm seeing in the icu with covid it's people who are lacking their first and second doses and i think we have to come, come to terms with that but i think it's inconvenient because many of the people in public health at least the national figures in the administration they know that 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 anti-vax crowd is not going to listen to them and they failed with them so they just continue to harass everybody to get boosters without actually addressing the main problem, which is first and second doses lacking in many people, uh, about 40% of the eligible population, about 60% of our population is vaccinated, the rest are not. And that includes 60 million people that are eligible to do it. When it comes to J&J, they didn't not recommend it. They issued a preferential recommendation for the mRNA vaccines because of a side effect 
um, that's rare but occurs in mostly child-age bearing women, um, and that's that's why they made that they made that distinction. But you, as a J and J recipient, I would recommend you get a booster just because it will boost your level up higher, especially if you get one an mRNA vaccine, uh, because we see with this mixing and matching with the J and J first. Uh, really gives you a, a huge boost. J&J hasn't like dropped the efficacy. It's still where it is, but you get even higher uh, for a longer period of time if you get an mRNA vaccine after the J&J. And I think that's a good vaccine and would still recommend it to people, especially those who just want to get one shot or, or um, have issues with the mRNA vaccines, whatever they may be. Dr. Amish Dalja from Johns Hopkins University. Doctor, thank you so much. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.